Hello there and welcome back to session number two of the Love of God teaching series, uh, which is entitled Daily Delight. Now, if you remember from our last session, we talked about uh, that we don't only have a powerful God, an intelligent God, a creative God, but also a very loving God who went to such lengths to create this beautiful world with all the plants and animals, with all the flavors, all the aromas, all the scents, all the tastes, so that we people not only live in this world and survive it, but enjoy it, enjoy it to the max and thrive in this place. And today we're continuing to talk about the same thing, about the creation of the world, but from a slightly different angle in Proverbs number eight, chapter 8, and we see here someone narrating the same story of the creation of the world, but from a different angle. And if you have a Bible ready to read, let's open uh, to Proverbs chapter 8. And we'll start reading from verse 12. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And you can read from whatever English version you have available. Let's read it together. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. Notice that wisdom is talking here throughout the whole chapter. And we'll pick it up again in, in verse 22. We'll read from uh, verse 22 to, uh, to verse 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever on earth. When there were no deaths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Here's the question that I want to answer today in this session. Who is this person of wisdom that chapter 8 of Proverbs is talking about? Who is this person of wisdom? Some scholars say that it's just a personification. Other people say that it might be the Holy Spirit or Jesus. Who do you say that this person of wisdom is? Let's find out together. And uh, I would like first to look at five clues of who this person of wisdom might be. Let's look at verse 12. It says that the person is called wisdom. It says, I wisdom. But what's interesting is that wisdom is not, doesn't seem to be a human being. It's not someone, but it's something. That's clue number one. Let's Clue number two. Verse 30 says that this person created the world with God, together with God. It was there. It says that I was beside him as a master craftsman. So this person was not just a spectator, a photograph, or a, but a master craftsman who was involved in the process of creation of the world. So that's clue number two. And then we go to clue number three. In verse 30 and 31, where it says that this person was daily God's delight. What is a daily delight? What does that mean to you? 
For some people, the daily delight is the is a couch, a beautiful couch you have in your home that you, you're looking forward to sit on and relax at the end of the day after you finished your job. Or maybe for, for other people, it may be reading a newspaper in the morning or drinking coffee in the morning. Every one of us have, have different delights, daily delights, things that you're looking forward every day to, to enjoy them or to, ex, to experience them. For, for other people, the daily delight is a person. Uh, and I, I can give you an example. When I was dating my wife, Natalia, and we were at a distance, we've been uh, far away for some time. She was in Italy, I was in Romania. And she used to call me, and I, I, I would call her and she would call me. But every time she would call me, no matter what I was doing that time, my family knows, my parents and my brothers and my sisters, they all know. No matter what I was doing, where, where I was, where, or what I was involved into, I would leave everything and run to the phone and just talk to her. Why? Because she was my daily delight and I, and she's still my daily delight. And I was her daily delight. It was something that I was looking forward every day. I was waking up to looking forward to talk to her, to hear her voice. And this is what a daily delight was. So look, this person was God's daily delight. Wisdom was God's daily was It was something or someone that God was looking every day to be with. Clue number four. Then wisdom says something interesting in verse 31, that its delight was with the sons of men. I was God's delight, but the people on the earth, they were my daily delight. So wisdom says, I was God's delight, but people from the earth, they were my delight. That's clue number four. And now let's take a look at chapter 30 in the same uh, chapter 30 of Proverbs. There, here we have another author writing. This is not Solomon, but King Agur. Uh, uh, Agur. Let's read together from chapter 30, verses 4 to 5. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Now, here's the question, another question. How could King Agur even know that God had a son 900 years before he was born as a baby? The Holy Spirit was helping these people to write these prophetic scriptures. And here there is a hint right there of whom wisdom might be. Right? He, uh, King Agur looks ahead and asks about the son, the son of God. Who, what is his son's name, if you know? Now let's go to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I want you to notice that John starts his Gospel off in the exact same manner in which the whole Bible begins. The Bible begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But John, instead of saying God, he says, in the beginning was the word. Let's read it together. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And of verse 14 in the same chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Amen. John is talking about the word as being a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. We all know that because Jesus Christ is the one that became flesh. He became a human being and lived right here among, among us. Now, if you, if you may, if you want, let's do an exercise. Let's replace, the, let's replace the word word with Jesus everywhere in this passage above and read it again. Let's read it together again. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus and without him, nothing was made that was made. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So now you may be asking me, are you trying to imply that the person of wisdom is Jesus? Exactly right. Jesus is the person of wisdom. Jesus is the same thing with the word and is the same thing with wisdom. Jesus equals word equals wisdom notice that verse 3 says that all things were made through him that does that sound like a master craftsman how proverbs 8 described him all things were made through him so jesus was the master craftsman more than that he wanted to be involved in every detail of creation and not miss anything in other words, he enjoyed the process in itself, the process of creation in itself, and not just the end product. Uh, it was a delight for him. Uh, some of us, and probably um, many of us, have some hobby, something that you enjoy doing. For instance, fishing. I heard so many fishermen, so many friends of mine who, love, who like to fish. And they explain it's not the end product, the catching of fish, to have fish for food. It's just the process in itself of fishing, of staying there, putting the, the bait, of waiting, of anticipating. It's, that's the delight. That's the delight. So in the same way, Jesus is described, the wisdom is described as the master craftsman. But it seems like he enjoyed the process of creating, of, the, of creating different diversity, uh, variety, colors, flavors, scents. So that we people can enjoy because we were, the sons of men were his delight. We were his delight. Let's continue our reading in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 11. Isn't that exciting? Interesting. Uh, Colossians 1, 12 to 18. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Amen to that. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, or for by him all things were created. Here we see again, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Amen and amen. This is such a powerful word. Notice in verse 
Notice in verse 13 the expression, the son of his love. He conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. This is another reference to the daily delight from Proverbs 8. To those of you that still think that wisdom could be the Holy Spirit, let me point something to you really important that you might not have uh, thought about. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible record ever record affection from Father God towards the Holy Spirit. I mean, now, of course, the Father God loves the Holy Spirit because God is love, right? But it does speak repeatedly of the Father's affection towards Jesus. Now think about the scene where of the Jesus' Jesus' baptism in water. When the Father comes with a cloud and says, This is my beloved Son. I mean, He didn't just say His Son. He said, This is my beloved Son. He showed affection towards His Son. And then verse 16, 16 in Colossians here, chapter 1 says that, Not only will all things were created through Him, but also for Him. Now this is a whole new concept. Let's let's speculate a a bit. What was God doing before he created the the earth and the human race? I mean, God has been around forever. We cannot even say what he was doing before the creation of earth because there's no before. He's outside of time, but he just is. There's no before and after. But what was he doing before creating the world? Was he flouting in the clouds and getting bored and let, let me think... Let's, let, let's create something just to, to get out of what if, I mean, what was he doing? Um, was, was this worth the only creation that he created? Is it possible that he might have created a, another world, another creation maybe for the Holy Spirit? Is it possible that he might have created another world for himself? We don't know. And we should stop here from the speculation because we might not, uh, we will never solve this mystery. We might know when we get to heaven because it's not revealed to us. But nevertheless, what I'm showing you, this is what we do know. That according to this Bible, speaking of, uh, speaking of this creation, the earth of this human race, the Bible says that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. They are not created for the Holy Spirit or for Father God, but for Jesus. So what am I showing you? I'm showing you that the Bible says there's something special. There's something special about the relationship between the second person of the Godhead and us. And the Bible records that over and over and over again. We see this thread, this love between Jesus, between wisdom, between the Word and us. In Isaiah 42, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, God is prophesying the coming of Jesus through the prophet Isaiah. And he says this, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. See, again, we see, we see here, in whom my soul delights. The soul of the Father delights in Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 24. It says this, Father, here's Jesus is praying. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Amen. Think about this. This is exactly what Proverbs 8 talks about. What am I telling you again? The person of wisdom is none other but the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 23 to 24 and verse 30, 30 says this. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here the scripture is pretty clear who Jesus is. He is the wisdom of God. And verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. Again. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Notice the, that the passage above in verse 30. It doesn't say that Jesus attained wisdom or acquired wisdom. But that he became wisdom. This is such so interesting. He became. Nobody talks like that today. He didn't acquire wisdom. We always say someone has wisdom. Someone is a wise person. But no, look here. Jesus became wisdom. The, his whole substance, his whole texture, the whole, the, his whole being was wisdom. And he's the one that said, listen guys, I want you to understand that all of this creation went down. When all, when all took place, every detail, all the flavors, all the colors, all the scents, all the sounds, I was doing that. Jesus said, I was doing that for you. Yeah, and you almost get the impression that he was dragging this creation. He was stretching this creation like, like let's this do this something else. Let's do here something else. Let's do one more thing here. Let's do something, even so, uh, uh, something more for their enjoyment so that they can enjoy this world. I can, uh, you almost get this impression that Jesus was so eager to make this place so beautiful for us people to enjoy it to the max. It's, uh, he's so wonderful. Even when I speak right now, I'm so amazed and so overwhelmed by His love, by His, uh, by his affection to us, that we are His delight. So the person of wisdom is Jesus. Now we're moving on to uh, the next section where let's go back to the Garden of Eden and see what happened there. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden, as you all know. And there was no fear, no insecurity. Everybody was confident, was safe until Genesis chapter 3. So let's open Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 15 and let's read together. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Let's stop here for a moment. And I want you to notice something. In chapter 2, God has said to, uh, to Adam, when he created everything, You can eat from all the trees of the garden, but from except one tree. From this one tree in the midst of the garden, which was the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, you shall not eat because in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. So there was only one tree that God had said to Adam, don't eat of it. But the serpent comes, look, uh, here is something interesting. The serpent comes and instead of saying, has God indeed said you cannot eat uh, the fruit from this tree? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't ask. Look at, ver at, uh, at verse 1. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden so satan is blowing things out of proportion as he always likes to do and he says did god say you cannot eat anything 
I mean, you, can, you cannot do anything. You cannot have any fun. That's how he usually comes to us. But God didn't say that. He said only one tree. He didn't say all trees. But Satan likes to say, oh, I, I, you can do anything. You cannot even have fun. This God of yours just doesn't like you to have fun. And that's not true. And we see that Eve straighten, straighten him, straightens him out and says, no, God said we can eat freely from any trees of the garden, but not eat from this one, not even touch it. Now, many people say that Eve didn't understand well because God told Adam not to touch. Uh, uh, God didn't say Adam anything about touching it, but just not eat it. And Eve added that we should not touch it, which is which is fine. I mean, if she, if if she, it would have been okay if she ran away as far as she could from the from that fruit, not even touch it, not even look at it, not even smell it or lick it, just run away from it. She would have been okay. Should have been good. So it's not that important. It's important, but not that important. But here the serpent is trying to deceive her. So let's continue reading from verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, but it, uh, that it was pleasant to the eyes and, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig, they sewed fig leaves uh, together and made themselves coverings. Let's stop here also uh, for a while. Something significantly changed with them the moment they ate the fruit. As we can notice a little bit discerned here in the, while we were reading. Something inside of them was open and they began to see things, began to see things totally different. Isn't that right? They have never, became, they have never been insecure or been afraid as I, I told before or embarrassed or ashamed. They didn't know the concept of depression. They didn't know the concept of being ashamed, of being uh, embarrassed. But all of a sudden, it was like something inside changed. It was like, it was like this light bulb that you have, uh, have it plugged in a wall. And you have, you have uh, the light bulb is lighting. It's, there's light all over. Uh, and all of a sudden, the, someone plugs, the, uh, plugs, plugs out the bulb from the wall and the light is out. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They were still there. They could see each other. They could, but something went out. The light went out and they felt it inside of them. They were still there. Uh, and so something was different. And now let's continue with verse 8 and see more of what happened. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, "Where are you?" So he said, "I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself." And he said, "Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat?" Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, who is this? What is this you have done? 
the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. Now go back a little bit to verse 8 where it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. The word sound uh, comes from Hebrew call, Q-O-L, and can be translated into sound or voice. Could it be that they heard the word of God walking in, in, the, in the cool of the day? That the word of God, wisdom, was walking invisible and he was talking to them. I believe this is the word or is Jesus. I don't know if he was Jesus at that time. But the Bible says that he was, he was the word. And he became Jesus in John. But nevertheless, he, it, he, it was the same person. The word, wisdom or Jesus. Jesus would come down in the cool of the day to be with Adam and Eve. Because it says in Proverbs that uh, the sons of man were his delight. Wisdom's delight. Why is that? The Proverbs said, as I said, I was God's delight, but my delight was to be with the sons of men. Now, look at verse 9 and 10. We never would have known insecurity or fear or low self-esteem and all, these, all those things that make life mis miserable if Adam didn't sin, if Adam didn't fell into sin. Hadn't fell into sin. And this sin has been passed down to every human being, to you and me. Adam's sin has been passed down and every person that is born into this world today is born with the sin of Adam in him or her. We are born with Adam's sin in us. No matter, even before doing anything bad or good, we are born sinful. We are born sinners. And verse, verse 13 says, Notice the tone of, of the voice of God in verse 13 when he comes and says, What is this you have done? Notice that it's not a tone of anger, but it's a tone of pain, of compassion, of hurt for, for, for Adam. It's a, a, it's a tone of sadness for Adam. Do you realize what you did? What is this that you did? You shouldn't have done this. It's not a tone of anger. He was grieved, but he wasn't angry. He was sad for Adam because he was concerned for Adam. It's not so much that God lost something, but Adam lost everything. He died. Adam died and became separated from God. I'm saying this because even today when we sin, we have the impression that God is offended. God is angry with us. But God is not angry because he paid. And we'll see that later on because he paid for sin. When he is grieved, he's grieved because of us, because he knows what sin does to us, because he knows that sin is death and we harm ourselves. And because he loves us so much, he is in pain, he's hurt, he is grieved when we sin. Anyway, let's move on to verse 15. Verse 15, it's so powerful and it contains such a big promise. I don't know if you, if you like snakes in your house. I don't like snakes. Every time I see snakes, 
I, I, I like to see them there in the zoo, or in the, but not in my house, not in the, on the road. And especially women, we know that women don't like snakes. But from the very beginning, God said that he would put a hatred and enmity between the serpent and the women. And God added, and between your seed and her seed. Now, when we talk about seed, we talk about a descendant, something that comes from you, out of you. And the serpent's seed, what is the serpent's seed? It's the devil, of course. It's the devil. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the serpent of old called the devil or Satan. But when it says about the woman's seed, notice that it's not the seed of both men and women. It's just the seed of, a, of the woman. It means that there is going to come a human being from a woman and that's the person who is going to have hostility and warfare with satan who is that he's talking about himself so when god talks about someone who would come in a form of a human being and will fight satan he was talking about himself that person who was walking in the cool of the day and was looking for adam so what do we see there? That right there, right there in chapter 3 of the Bible, when Adam sinned so, so awful and he got disconnected from God, right there, Jesus knows that if something doesn't happen, if someone doesn't save them, they are destined for hell. They are destined for death. So right there, he makes the promise of salvation. Let's read it together again. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel he says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel he's going to crush your head and the domination that you now have over the human beings that's what the word says controlling their lives through sin and bondage but you are going to bruise his heel that means it's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt Jesus as well in the process. But Jesus is, is going to crush your head, to crush the domination. So right there, Jesus, out of compassion and love, he didn't just forsake man, the human race, and leave it to die in hell. But he right there, he said, I'm going to come and crush your head, Satan. I'm going to crush your domination over human lives. And I'll, I'll gain them back to myself that's so awesome i love jesus so jesus made the decision and revealed it in this verse that unlike unlike you and me who would have been angry on if i were me i would have been angry on adam's sin but look at jesus he's not angry but right there he would come he says that he would come to save he loved man so much that he said i would come and save you that was his first reaction because he loved us by the way why not the man and woman, but, but only the woman? Why the seed has to come only from the woman? Because if Joseph and Mary would have had Jesus together, what would have happened? Then the sin gene would have been passed down to Jesus and he would have had to die for his own sin. If Jesus was born from both Joseph and Mary, he would, be, he would have been sinful like any other human being. And that's why we have the virgin birth and Jesus being born of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, so that when he would be born, he would be free of, of the contamination of sin. He was born free of sin. He was not born in sin. He was born free of sin. Then after not sinning for his whole life, he could die and take out our, our sin's punishment. 
our sin pattern, the, the sin of a whole human race. Isn't God clever? Isn't God good? He's so, he's so smart. He's so wise. And this is such a powerful passage. It's a passage of love, of commitment. It's a passage, a passage, a passage that says, I don't care how badly you messed up. I don't care how badly you messed up. I love you and I'm coming after you. I'm coming to save you. Isn't it interesting to you that when the Messiah was born as a baby, it wasn't the Father or the Holy Spirit who, who became flesh. Not even an angel who became flesh. The person of wisdom, Jesus, whom his delight was a son as a man. He became flesh. He became in the form of, the, of, of a human being. It was the second person of the Godhead. The one who said, my delight is with the sons of men. My delight is with the sons of men. He didn't just send salvation. He could have done that somehow. But he chose to come personally to save us. And in the process, he became like one of us. Imagine that. He, he left his glory. The Bible says he left his glory. He left heaven. He left the presence of the Father. He came down and he became like one of us. He became a human being. He wanted to relate to us at a human level. He wanted to know what we're going through. He wanted to be tempted like we are so that he would understand us better. And some people think that he became a human being just for 33 years while he was on earth. But that's not true. He became a human being forever. He became a human being. This might be new to you, but he became a human being forever after resurrection he had a glorified body. It wasn't the same body, but it still was a physical body. It was a glorified body. It was a, a physical body created out of the spirit, uh, full of glory. But you could still touch him. You could see his wounds. He could eat. And he even said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, bones like I have. So his body had flesh and bones. And that's the way he ascended to heaven, in flesh and bones. And that's the kind of bodies we will have at the end of the age when Jesus comes back to take us back. Look at Luke uh, chapter 24 verse 39 says this. Behold my hands and my feet that it, that it is I myself. Handle me and see me for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now talking about the love of Jesus that doesn't take away from the love of the father. For, for the human being, you might think that, oh, why, you, why are you talking so much about the love of Jesus for human race? That Don't you take away from the love of the Father for the human race? No, absolutely not. It actually enhances it. Because why? Because in John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his daily delight, his only son. He gave it for us. And not only that, but... The, uh, the most important person for God was given for us. And in John 16, 27, Jesus said, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me. So it's not just me, Jesus, that I came, that I love you. But the Father himself loves, loves you because he was willing to give me up for your sakes. So the Father loves us, not just Jesus. Look at John 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, uh, also believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were, were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. This is such a wonderful promise. Notice it doesn't say he will receive us to the Father. Or to the Holy Spirit. Or to all the angels in heaven. Or to heaven in general. But he says, oh no. He says he was going to receive us to himself. He wanted us so close to him. So that where he is, there we may be also. I don't know if you all see these clues in the Bible, but they all point to this one thing, which is this. There's something special between the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, and us humans, us people. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you and me. And all these years and centuries going by by through the Bible, He's been after us to win us back, to pay the price for our sin, to bring us back to himself and the place the place that jesus is going to prepare look in, in in this passage that we just read many people thinks think is heaven that after jesus died he ascended to heaven and he's now all ever since he left earth to heaven he's been preparing our mansion and our place in our home in heaven but notice that the passage here when jesus is talking here is not before ascension is before going to the cross So what does that mean? That he was not talking about heaven, about preparing a place in heaven, because he, uh, uh, but about a place that he prepared, which is Christ. Uh, the place that he prepared was uh, uh, the, after his death and resurrection was Christ, in, who, in whom we came when we got born again and in whom we are today. Christ is the place that Jesus was going to prepare for us because Christ is one with the Father, is one with the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity, and we were brought in Christ, in other words, to Himself, in Himself. The Bible says that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So in other words, right now, here on earth, today, and in heaven, of course, we we are already in that place that Jesus prepared for us, in Christ, which is our life is hidden in God with Christ. That's what the Bible says. Our life is hidden with God in Christ. So we are in Christ. Christ is the place that he was talking about. That where I am, there you may be also. So where Jesus Christ is, his position, his uh, responsibilities, his privileges, his abilities, his inheritance, everything that Jesus Christ is and can do is ours. It's, where he is, we are also. Now let's wrap this, uh, let's wrap this uh, passage and... Uh, get close to the end um, and let's close with a passage from Romans chapter 8 verse 35 to 39 where Apostle Paul asks a question verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death or life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice in verse 1 that it's not the love of the Father or love in general. 
But it talks about the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 39 says, can you see this where the love of God is? Love of God in verse 39 says, the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is all this saying? It's, it's saying that from the very beginning of creation, the person of wisdom, Jesus, the word said, I was daily God's delight. I am the one whom God was looking forward to meeting with every day. But my delight and what I was looking forward to every day was to be with the sons of men. I want to bless them. I want to help them. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you even today. That's his heart. That's his love. And today that's true. As I said, do you know that, did you know that every single day Jesus thinks about you? You may go for days and weeks and months not talking to him, not connecting with him, doing your own stuff, going to job, do your own thing, listening to, watching to your own thing and not thinking about Jesus, doing your duties of friendship. But he's thinking about you in all this time. Every day you are his delight. Every day Jesus thinks about you. Isn't that something? Doesn't that compel you to think about him and make a habit? And every day when you wake up to say, good morning, Jesus, to think about him first in the morning before you go do your, all your stuff. That's something I had to learn to do every day when I wake up to say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Even if I don't say too many words, my first thoughts go to Jesus. I say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Father. Thank you for this new day. I bless this whole day. And you start your day thinking about Jesus. Because He loves us so much. He's so powerful. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He, all heaven, all creatures in the universe submit to Him and bow their knee to Him. And He has such tremendous authority, all authority and power. And still, He's so compassionate, so soft at heart, so full of love. He's such a wonderful God. There's no other God like Him, like Jesus Christ. Now let's close this session by... Uh, memorizing two passages, two verses, and I'll read them first and then I'll personalize them. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 23 to 24 says this, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the first uh, uh, passage that we will memorize. Let's try to personalize it. But I preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to me who I am called, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ to me is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, it means I am the power of God. I am the wisdom of God because Christ, not me in myself, but Christ who is in me. I am the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. That's so powerful. I am wisdom as well. I speak wisdom. I walk in wisdom every day. That's the mentality that we should have. That's how we renew our mind. That we are in Christ. And we have the power of Christ in us. The second passage to memorize is Romans 8 verses 37 to 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's personalize it. Yet in all these things, I am more than conqueror through him who loved me. For I am persuaded, I am convinced. Are you convinced? Think about it, meditate on that. Are you convinced? If you're not, get convinced. Meditate on it. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen.